0: i make a frown i always wear it upside down cause life is carnage i once
1: girl music of the indie rock persuasion i'm your host amanda starling here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism diy and of course the music hope everybody has had a good week this is one special episode because i'm joined by a guest i've long admired in independent music that's sadie dupuy of speedy ortiz and sad 13 Sadie is someone I've always been amazed by, from her intricate guitar playing as a front to Speedy, up to her newly revealed writing in a collection of poetry called Mouthguard. I've always wanted to talk to her, but I totally admit to being starstruck, and lucky for me, she reached out and wanted to be on the podcast, which is one of the coolest things ever. So Sadie and I talked about so much of her career, from her early interest in music and writing, performing, all the way up to the ways that her songwriting has transformed over the years. We talk about home recording, how I need to watch Riverdale, the importance of writing music that empowers, and so much more. So with that, let's hear a song from Sadie's solo project, SAD13, called Get a Yes, and then dig into the interview.
0: A star's
1: to anger girl music of the indie rock persuasion how are things thank you, going Thank you things are pretty good how are you i'm really good i'm so excited to be able to talk to you and meet you um i've been a fan for some time
2: oh thank you so much i'm yeah i'm excited to be doing this i've also never taped a podcast over a video chat i don't think
1: <laughs> it's fun because so. we get to see each other's faces and i love it because it gives me the opportunity to talk to people from all over i'm here in Florida, yeah. so like Bands come through, but it's not the same as being, like, in the Northeast or even in some of the larger cities in the Midwest. I really... Where in Florida are you? I'm in St. Pete, so I'm, like, half an hour outside of Tampa.
2: I love St. Pete. Oh uh, yay! I always have fun when we play there. And I think we... Well, I won't give a spoiler, but I think we're coming back kind of soon.
1: Yay! Well, I'll be excited about that, that's for sure. Yeah, I've driven to, like, Orlando to see a couple of your shows and stuff. Yeah, here.
2: it's tricky. I feel like we... um I always want to play in Florida as much as possible, and it doesn't always get added to tour routes. And I, like, sort of understand that it's vaguely out of the way, but it's not really. Like, we play North Dakota somewhat regularly. <laughs> how, how is Florida any more out of the way than than that?
1: Yeah, I always try to encourage bands. I'm like, you can do a really sick loop because you can hit Orlando, Tampa, Miami, and it's mm-hmm. not too crazy. But
2: yeah, we just did Miami for the very first time in like eight years of touring. Um, we just did Miami for the first time last month and it was amazing. I was so happy to be there and people were psyched. And I feel like that's the thing about Florida shows because bands don't route through as often people are just like excited to be at a show and not as jaded about it as they are in like, I don't know, Northeast cities where there's 20 shows happening a night and you can see everyone, you know, like every, I don't know, like once a month.
1: Yeah, we kind of bottle up all that hype and just kind of unleash it on y'all when you come through. That's for sure. I think
2: that's the best way to do it. (laughs) Except that we should come to Florida more.
1: Yeah, just a little bit more, but that's okay. I'll just have all that energy ready for you when you get here. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about your career, everything that you've been doing through music. It's such an awesome experience that you have and wide background because. From my understanding, you started a little bit in children's choir, playing <laughs> a little bit of instruments here and there. That's so awesome.
2: Yeah, that is my background. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want me to just should I, should I let the listeners in? Is that what you yeah, want? Okay. sure. Let's see. Um, well, I started playing piano. That was my first instrument. And I would play with my dad, who had um, taken – my. my dad had worked in the music industry sort of way before I was born – and sort of um, dabbled in artist management and A&R. And he um, traded, like, m- piano lessons for management. So he, like, learned piano from, like, managing, like, blues artists, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, so when I was a little kid, I would play with him a little bit. And we would, like, write songs on the piano together. And then I I got into singing in children's choirs. And I did that from, like, age... 11 or 12 until I was 16 or 17. So most of middle and high school. And that was um, my first experience doing any kind of touring because it was, we toured internationally, which was kind of fun. I mean, I've never, Speedy Ortiz has never toured on a tour bus, but like the children's choir did. So that was kind of cool. (laughs) Um, And getting to travel with so many of my friends at that age, you know, to other countries was really amazing. Um, That is awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And the director was treated as very uh, treated as though we were very adult. So it wasn't like we felt. I don't know. I feel like it it made me uh, tour in an adult way from the get go. I never viewed tour as like a party. It was like, oh, we can like have these cool cultural experiences and like, but we're here to work. Um. So I did that, and then around the same time, I went to I went to an arts summer camp from like kind of that same age range and that was where i got into rock and punk stuff and started playing in bands and playing guitar and like working in recording studios so from like age 13 uh, i was making demos and playing in bands and stuff and i feel like having those two things at the same time really informed my guitar playing because i was used to sort of this the the children's choir music was really weird it would be like avant-garde russian like you know, weird time signature changes and dissonant stuff that held out for so long that it was painful. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what I like on guitar as well. So <laughs> while I was learning guitar, I was like, oh, I li- this is the kind of like painful, difficult music that I like singing. So let me try to write that on guitar as well. Um, so I feel like doing those things at the same time really kind of set me up for the kind of music I still write, you know, uh 17 years later. <laughs>
1: That's cool, though, how all those things kind of slowly influenced you over time to where, you know, it influences your style of writing and even how you are on the road. Do you think that those experiences really shaped how you approach? Well, you kind of said that with how you write your music and such, but kind of just shape your overall approach to music now as an adult.
2: Um, Yeah, I feel like it, it normalized it at an early age for me, where at age 13, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I can just like start a band and play shows and write music. And um, I was lucky that I had supportive adults who just kind of let me do that. I never really experienced the pushback that a lot of my friends experienced, you know, who are women who tried to start playing in bands young. It was always like, oh, this is a cool thing to do. And there were lots of other um, girls at the camp who were like into like the Locust and like Mars Volta and like wanted to play that kind of music. So uh, I think in, in that sense, it really normalized like oh, like, of course women are in rock and punk. Like, they will be in every band that I know. Um, And then, again, like, normalizing touring. Like, oh, yeah, of course I can just, like, fly to Ireland and, (laughs) like, take off from school to do this cool opportunity. I think that um, doing that so young just made me think that music will always be in my life, regardless of what my day job is. And I never expected music to be my day job, like, through high school and college I thought I would do all these different things with my life Um, but it's cool that it worked out that way and um, yeah.
1: That's really cool though that music was accessible to you at that age. Um, Yeah I mean it's a big big
2: privilege not everyone gets to do that not everyone is able to go to like a cool punk summer camp. (laughs) It's a dream come true. (laughs) It is. And that's why like Speedy Ortiz has done a lot of uh, fundraising and support for Girls Rock Camp Foundation. Because I think that having opportunities to play in bands and record at that age. I mean, I'd be a completely different person if I hadn't had those experiences. And I think that all kids should be able to do stuff like that in an accessible way. So,
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's so cool that you've kind of had that intent for so long. And, you know, that informs so much of like what young women and kids who are figuring out who they are in general like it it helps shape them so much yeah do you remember any like bands that you got really excited about in kind of your formative years that kind of just motivated you to write
2: um I mean I can definitely remember the first song I ever wrote when I was in like I probably was like eight years old. I was really into No Doubt when I was in elementary school. um, And my best friend and I got into them together. So I would like try to make up ska songs (laughs) that (laughs) sounded like that. And I think I really had um, less so now than when I was younger. But I have a very naturally intense vibrato in my voice. And I think it's from listening to Gwen Stefani sing. Um, So that was one that was like an early favorite. I also really, really liked i mean my my parents were kind of ex punks and that's um that means they had cool taste and that means that I was dead set against listening to their music when I was like in middle school and earlier um, so I was just really into top forty radio, and at the time that I was growing up like you know, I'm born in 88. So from elementary and middle school, it was like a lot of the girl group revival stuff. So I was really into the Spice Girls and I was really into um, Destiny's Child. And I also sang in this children's choir. So I was really interested in vocal harmonies. So I think being into a lot of the, um, the top 40 stuff that was these group or, or TLC, uh, stuff like that really made me interested in like what you can do with vocal harmonies. Um, so those were like... And No Doubt had has amazing harmonies as well. But Definitely. I think like, vocal stuff was really um, important to me. And then it was only really when I was in like middle school that I started getting into indie rock or um, alternative rock. And that was when I started to get into some of my parents' music taste as well, where my dad would just... Um, my dad was like a big-time CD collector, and he would just go to the the record store and like talk to the guy who worked there about everything that was new and take stuff home and we would really like nerd out over um, what he got together. So there were a lot of CDs that came into my collection just from like stealing them from my dad. So that would have been stuff on Matador like Liz Phair and like Pavement and um, like Sebado was another band I got into from my dad. So I feel like those two things like the 90s rock CDs I was stealing from my dad or hearing on college radio and then like like the the girl group um top 40 stuff were like my biggest influences and probably um inescapably will always be kind of go to arrangements for me
1: I love that though cuz like there's so much that you can draw from that cuz like top 40 pop music in the 90s was just prime as far as I'm concerned. It was
2: but really we hard to feel that way cuz that's our childhood.
1: It is. I know I'm extremely biased in that sense, but like I still revisit that stuff and it's just like if you look at it just strictly musically it's awesome and yeah. then to like I mean I
2: love pop music throughout history. Like I just you can't escape the things that I'm always shocked at lyrics I remember from stuff that I knew when I was around that age, stuff I haven't revisited in so long. Like the, I remember my, my stepbrother had the, um, the soundtrack to the movie Bullworth, which I never even saw, but it has like Ghetto Superstar on it, has all these songs on it. And I was like, oh, I just remembered the soundtrack and I put it on and I know every word to like the whole <laughs> soundtrack. I've never even seen this movie. Whereas like, you know, there can be a song that comes out this year that I listen to 70 times in a row and I have no idea what the lyrics are. So it's, it's funny how your childhood brain is just able to retain things in a way that becomes less easy uh, the older you get. Things <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> right?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting how we, like, we, ret- we retain it and we latch on to so much of those things. And it's like whether it's something happening in the moment or something that like, you know, just makes it memorable just sticks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And also there, were, there weren't smartphones to distract my brain
1: that's true. There,
2: there were less things for me to latch onto to at that time. So I, everything went into the, memorizing the Bullworth soundtrack.
1: <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> it's so cool, though, that like, you know, you have this variety of influences because you have the punk music that you were consuming, you know, as a middle schooler in the top 40. And I feel like in many ways, that kind of echoes in bits of your music, particularly with your solo, work, your solo work with like Sad 13, because it feels like the perfect blend of like this pop, this R&B, this indie rock that's just like harmonious in that sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was funny when I started work on that project. It was kind of because I was like, I mean, every time we work on a Speedy or tease record, there will be songs where I'm like, Okay the the influence on this song is like Sierra or it's like Fiona Apple or it's like Nelly Furtado and then just because of the instrumentation of the group people are just like oh sounds 90s um, and so i wanted to do the sad 13 project to pay a little bit more direct homage to the stuff that i consider my influences sort of across the board
1: Definitely and you've done such a great job with like kind of uh, being able to flesh out that area and also still make Speedy RTs extremely innovative and like progressive and sound too. Um,
0: yeah, how- I mean,
2: I, I had so much fun doing that record and getting into synths and, and um, drum machine production that when it was time to do the next Speedy record, I was like, well, I don't want to stop making things sound cool. Like I'm, I'm getting better at that. Why would I just let that go? So it was kind of fun. And especially like, my bandmates, you know, working on that record, we all like pop. We all like R and B. We all like, um, you know, music that we're we're borrowing from in terms of like the the mixing and the sounds. So it was cool to be able to do that with Speedy as well.
1: Yeah, because I feel like you know, Sad 13 came out, I believe, before Twerpverse. Verse.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, it was out in 2016.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was cool because I feel like a little bit of what you learned there definitely was starting to be felt in tort Verse, and it was cool yeah. to kind of. See you experiment with sounds in both of those arenas,
2: especially like so. We were working on Twerp Verse, sort of around the same time. Like I was writing a lot of Twerp Verse around the same time as I wrote the Sad Thirteen record, mm-hmm. um, and we wound up recording a whole version of the record that we we didn't use a lot of. Um, we went back into the studio to re-record some, and you can really tell the difference between the earliest st- stuff I wrote for the record. Um, and the things I did later in terms of like, I just got better at making synth sounds and um, thinking of what to do with like drum machine sounds. And yeah, like Lucky 88 is one of the, the, which is a speedier Ortiz single that's like very, very poppy and probably the poppiest sounding thing we've done was They're one so of the catchy. last ones I wrote for that record. And I was like, all that I like to listen to is the Riverdale soundtrack. I want to make <laughs> a song that I think would sound good on a CW show. And that was like,
1: That's goals. That's, (laughs) that's, that's goals truly, as far as I'm concerned. Cause it's like, that's what personally cultivated my interest in music was like mid the Riverdale soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You would think, uh, actually like I was thinking about, like, I I say this to people all the time. I'm like, um, I credit mid 2000 CW for my music taste. Cause like one tree Hill that entire, like freaking every episode, they had something, new. I was like downloading playlists and like trying to find all the music and
0: yeah. I'm kind of
2: yeah. a late comer to watching TV. Like I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't into it when I was in high school or younger really. Um, but once I was 22, I was like, wow, this is all I want to do with my free time. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I, I feel like I watch more TV than most of my friends. Um, but it's all been like me playing catch up. Like I only watched Gossip Girl for the first time within the past year. Same um, actually. Did you love it? I or did like, you love parts of it? I,
1: <laughs> I, like, loved to hate it because I would go back and forth so much emotionally. That's how I knew it was a good show because it was, like, sometimes I'm, like, I freaking love this. And sometimes I'd be, like, no, stop it. And I'm, like, okay, yeah, you're emotionally attached now. You have to finish this. There
2: were rough moments. But I, I really, like, enjoyed the soundtrack. And I really liked um, – Yeah. Yeah. I, I like shows like that. So, really, like, everything I watch is, like, a CW teen show. I um, love that.
1: I, I'm a fan of teen night dramas. I need to get really into Riverdale with how much like my friends have talked about it. But that's, hey. I feel like it's so up my alley.
2: It's like so bad and so good.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> most of those teen night dramas anyhow.
2: <laughs> They've like made one of the characters like a full on cop. Um, what? How am I rooting for him? And yet I'm being forced to. <laughs> it's I had really a good bad. moment actually. They made, um, do you know Cole Sprouse? yeah yeah so the teen heartthrob cole sprouse plays jughead (laughs) jones of archie comics fame and he was like first he was like a film nerd who was doing like a truman capote style like writing expose and then suddenly he was like a gang leader and then he was like benevolent gang leader and then suddenly he became like a cop and um and so they had some big like like cole sprouse as as a cop scene and they played um that Grimes song, We Appreciate Power. And I was like, wow, it's like not only Cole Sprouse has turned into a cop, but they're playing Grimes' copiest song on top of it. So anyway, you should watch Riverdale. <laughs> for more for more thoughts about this, uh watch Riverdale and then we can chat.
1: Absolutely. I'll have about- to follow up with you when I've watched some of it.
2: That's yeah. tell me sure. what you think the copiest moments are. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, that's great. But I love that you kind of mentioned that because uh, I've read and heard from previous interviews that like, you know, the, the television and some pop culture actually influences some of your writing, too. Yeah,
2: yeah, totally. And it's, I think part of that is because like nothing has made me less of a music fan than doing music as a full time job, mm-hmm. um, because when I had other, you know, unrelated to music work as my day job, I'd be like, cool, all my free time is like for music for, you know, booking myself a tour or for like going to see my friends bands or obsessing over my friends demos or whatever, you know, going to the record store when on Tuesdays back in the back in the day. Um, And now that it's full time, I'm like, I only when I'm home when I'm not doing music, I just want to listen to podcasts if I'm driving around. (laughs) I just want to watch TV. So it's funny how stuff like that works where the thing that's ostensibly my favorite creative pursuit in the world become something that i have to like spend a lot of time away from but i think uh i mean it's the same thing we were talking about earlier like the reason i know all the words to the Bullworth soundtrack is because i didn't have so many other things to distract me mm-hmm. and sometimes it feels like i have to take a break from music or i just like won't be able to make any here appreciate it so tv yeah. and podcasts very influential <laughs> to me
1: I love that well it's good to kind of have other things to kind of distract you and inform what you want to write about or what you want to focus on um, whenever you're approaching creativity so that's that's awesome to me
2: and i also feel that uh a lot of musicians more so than than friends i have in other creative fields just sometimes become so in that bubble that there's like nothing else they have to talk about Um, And I've definitely been to lunch with, like, one friend who plays music and one friend who doesn't. And it's so boring for the friend who doesn't because all the music people know how to talk about is, like, this band on this tour and this agent and this label. And, you know, it gets very um, not only insular but just, like, kind of monotonous. So it's really fun to to think about and focus on things that are completely unrelated to music.
1: Sure. You don't want to talk shop all the time.
2: You You don't want to talk shop all the time. And you don't want something you love to just only be shop so
1: definitely it's the balance that's for sure and that's cool that you kind of have that focus to not only give yourself a break in the sense of like from work but it seems like it's a little bit of self-care in that sense too
2: totally yeah
1: that's so cool well to kind of talk a little bit more shop with you
2: though oh, yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah now that I've said I hate music <laughs> I
1: love it <laughs> so um it's really neat how long that Speedy Ortiz has been a band and all the things that have taken place over time, but I'm kind of wondering maybe, well, first how you all met and then how do you feel you maybe have grown as a band from your first releases up to now being Twerkverse?
2: Yeah, I mean, the lineup has changed somewhat considerably over the course of um, the band's history and it really started as my solo project. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the first, like, six months of speedy ortiz's existence it was just my solo project and i would just get whoever was around and i knew wanted to play just to play shows with me and i really was just doing it um as a fun side project like i had a band that i'd been in for five years and that was sort of my main musical project and i wanted to be able to work on music more autonomously where i was like the only songwriter um and that was and i wanted to get better at home recording which was like the big impetus behind doing the project so the first few things we released the first like 15 songs we released were just me playing everything and having recorded it and mixed it myself um and then my other band broke up and uh i had just started i was in grad school and teaching at a college so i was kind of doing that like academic life but i'd moved to a new place for the first time and i was having all these um like considerable health problems and uh i was dealing with like grief and loss and a a bunch of a perfect storm of things that made me really like um really sad and i just wanted to have an excuse to play music as much as possible as a way to like feel better Mm -hmm. so that's sort of when i got um a few different friends that i'd known from touring in my previous band to be like a consistent lineup for speedy um And so over the years, like, you know, the lineup has changed because people's lives change and not everyone wants to tour 10 months of the year, which is what we wind up doing every year somehow. Um, But it's been really great to get to play with so many of my favorite friends and musicians. And, um, yeah, I really, I mean, I just know everyone from all of our bands having played together over the past, like, 15 years, it's really been a... that kind of a situation where just friends that I'm excited about their music and want to have a chance to play with. And then we do it and it's great. And then a few years later, we're still doing it.
1: That's really special that you're able to do that. And you're able to kind of make these lasting connections to where it's like you write music together and you put you put together something that's going to stay around for years and years, people will be going back to that music, whether it's you personally or us as listeners in that sense. And-
2: I hope not me personally. I hope in 10 years, I'm not just like sitting around like, what was speedy or tease up to in 2014? <laughs> I hope yeah. I'm listening to a podcast.
1: Hell yeah. Maybe that's one for all we know. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: that's just as bad. Listening <laughs> to my own voice in like speech form. That's even worse.
1: It's really weird. I'll put it that way for myself. I can't. I can't <laughs> no, but, uh, it's, it's really cool, though, how much like your sound has changed over time because, you know, major kind of being kind of like a, a record where there was a lot more um, heavier emotion it being like a bit more of a breakup record, switching mm-hmm. all the way up to um, Bull Deer being the I feel like one of the major turning points for you. And it quickly became more and more positive and impactful and kind of pushing and punching back. I feel like a lot of that was within verse and such. Does that sound kind of right?
2: Yeah. I think, I think that you've summarized it all way better than I could have. Um, I think that the first record, well, so the first like full band speedy or record, cause I did do a couple things, um, with it as a solo project, but it was really like, um, it was all written very quickly, definitely in a, a flurry of emotion, the kind of stuff I was talking about where I was having health issues and I'd gone through this breakup and I'd moved to a new place and I just felt completely out of my mind. Um, so a lot of big feelings going into to that, having written it kind of quickly. And then we only had like four days to record it. So it's very um, live band sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next record, I spent a little bit longer writing and we definitely spent a lot more time arranging and we spent a lot more time in the studio. Um, and again, it was like I had, you know, it was so strange to me that our first record was this like breakup album that was, to me, there's a lot of, negative feelings that i probably wouldn't put to tape anymore um and i kind of was like well that's not like for instance our our most popular song is the song no blow and i love that people like it but it's not a sentiment that i agree with or like would put in a song again Mm -hmm. um and i still had a lot of stress in my life and i had really tough stuff happen between those two records coming out um i was in an abusive relationship that i thankfully was able to get out of Mm -hmm. um but there was plenty of like, like dramatic, sad stuff to write about, and I just didn't want that to be what I used music for anymore. I wanted to get back to the, this feeling of um, using music as something to make me feel better and make other people feel better. Uh, so I think that's sort of why that record has more of like an empowering attitude, because that's what I wanted to make and what I needed to hear. Um, and then, just again, more time in the studio, we were able to do a lot more overdubs and, and think a lot more critically about crafting the sound for each specific song like the first record we did was with this amazing engineer Justin Pizziferato who I love to death um, but you can't like make every song have its own sonic world with four days in the studio to do we, did, we tracked 14 songs yeah. um, I mean to his credit it, it's a testament to how great he is that the songs do sound as different as they do um, but I mean there's nothing Two weeks in the studio versus four days is such a huge difference. And that's oh, sort I of like what happened with Foiled year And then, um, you know, we toured a ton on that. And then with Twerpverse, it's the longest I've ever taken to write a record. And because it took so long, I just, like, didn't agree with songs I'd written at the start of writing it. So we kind of had a few sessions for that. And again, I mean, every record, we take a little bit more time working on it, which is... Um, There's something for sure to be said about impulsive recording. There's something for sure to be said about live sounding recordings. Um, But, you know, when we get back to what I'm saying or like my favorite, my taste in music, um, I really love pop stuff. So even if I have guitar based stuff that's ostensibly rock, I love production details and I love um, taking my time with things like that. So I think that is best reflected in, in Torpverse of Speedy's like three full band records.
1: Definitely. There's so much growth, I feel like, that has happened between those two records, specifically Foil Deer and Torp First, and that, you know, there is more production, and yet it feels very natural that it's there. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like it's just, like, a natural next step in evolution for you, because you're applying these things that you've learned to the things that you love to this new record, and um, it's really... What I love about it too is that 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 empowerment that kind of just keeps steadily growing because I remember when I first heard like Raising the Skate Off a of foiled Deer I listened to and I'm like whoa I oh. the strong the song makes me feel strong as hell and it was actually one of the what I would call turning point songs for me because um being a younger 20 something kind of exploring um punk music years ago and stuff that was one of the songs that like stuck out to me and it kind of empowered me as like a young feminist and stuff so now so here, awesome. yeah That's like years really later awesome. yeah years later I still think about that song and I still revisit it and I'm just like damn this is so impactful and you know that whole messaging of like you know being the boss and stuff was really important <laughs> to me it's like a young girl who didn't really understand that I could seize that power so hearing that even louder I feel like in Twerk first was just really important to me to hear that coming out last year
2: I mean, a lot of times when I write songs with that kind of messaging, it's mm-hmm. because it's like something I need to hear myself and like need to be better about. Like, in spite of wanting to be, um, you know, confident and like aware of what I'm doing, <laughs> I'm not not aware. I'm aware of what I'm doing, but sometimes I feel like my confidence isn't so great, or um, my ability to take charge isn't what it should be, and, and I feel writing songs like that is like a, like a kick in the pants for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool that it, it's nice to hear when my, my little notes to myself, uh, work for other people as well.
1: Absolutely. Cause <laughs> I remember like songs like and when I suffer and lucky 88 definitely did that for me in that sense. Oh, thank where it's, you. Like, you're, you're confronting so much. And it was just like that next boost that I needed. Because let's be real, the last couple of years have been hell on earth. <laughs> and, sure. and that's like the kick in the ass that I need to keep fighting and keep going and staying strong. So like, thank you for writing music that's like that for mm-hmm. I'm sure so many others beyond myself.
2: Yeah, it's definitely I mean, I've always written music, not in like a diaristic way. But um, I'm not like a I'm not such a narrative songwriter that I ever make like a fictional I've never done like a like a story song where it's like here's a fictional scenario and I'm gonna sing about it I mean I admire so many songwriters who do that but it's just never um been what compels me to write so I mean even from the early Speedier or two stuff it's like things that I needed to hear for myself but it was all about like breakups and at some point I was like I don't need to I kind of know what to do like um I made the first speedy record when I was like 23 by 25. I was like, I kind of know what to do in a bad relationship. Like, yeah, I kind of know like, you know how to heal my heart. What I don't know how to do is how to deal with the fact that so many of my friends in the music industry have dealt with like bizarre misogyny. What I don't know how to deal with is like so many of my friends who, uh, so many of my friends don't feel listened to by, um, people who are supposed to be allies and so that sort of became the things that I would like notes to self but um, notes to friends who are struggling with the same thing and, and stuff that's bigger than just like oh, my shitty breakup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well it's it's kind of a maturity thing too because you know it's absolutely you your world just
2: harder. You, know, you take it harder when you're younger and your world is so focused on yourself when you're mm-hmm. younger which is not um, true for everyone and I feel like that actually sounds kind of ageist and is not something I, I mean because so many of the like activists that are doing the most and that I admire the most are much younger than me um but at least personally and I think for a lot of my friends there was just like a I don't know you think that your emotions are like the biggest thing in the entire world um and that it just has to do with like oh you see my dog there he is back to sleep uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean like your traumas feel like the biggest thing in the world and As you get older, you're like, oh, these traumas happen to lots of people in my community. How can we process and heal together? How can we um, protect other people from experiencing the same traumas that we've gone through? So that was sort of. um, I feel like that's sort of how. Hopefully, a lot of people, as they get older, start to to notice and realize these things and want to adjust how they conduct themselves and um, how they support and, and question their own communities as a result of learning stuff like that.
1: Definitely. I feel like that was, that mirrors so much of, it. I feel like, my experience and, like, growing up and realizing, you know, there are bigger problems than maybe what I'm facing right now. And maybe there's things I can do to help others. And that's so cool that you have that approach to your art in that sense, too, because you're thinking about others' experiences and, like, trying to not only speak for what you've been through, but ways to help others through what they're facing as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that just comes hand in hand with, like, using your songs as a filter for your own thoughts. Like if I wrote more narrative music, maybe it wouldn't be quite such a direct line between like, here's how I've grown as a person and here's how like my songwriting has grown along the same you know parallel line. But uh, I really just, you, you know, I write the lyrics at the very last moment. It's always like, I've written all the music and then it's like, well, what can I, I write for like, I feel like this project People often focus on the lyrics more than anything else, which is like flattering, but it's not the thing that I put the most thought into. Um, But I think of course, because I'm just like trying to process whatever thought is in my head that day, it follows that um, my growth as an adult and caring less about myself and more about others is sort of translated in the, the lyrics that are a bit automatic.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's neat that, you know, You mentioned that you spend a little less time on lyrics because that just I think is a testament to how naturally they come to you in that sense, because a lot of us on the outside (laughs) feel that way. Like it's it's really cool what you're able to do. And I love the way that you deliver the lyrics in the sense of like how you mentioned earlier, challenging like the speed and the pacing and stuff with your instrumentation too, which is brilliant. I always enjoy the times that I've watched you play because you seem like you're so like balanced in how you're able to do this awesome lyrical delivery while shredding there's no other way to put it
2: yeah it's been um that's been a a growth experience too because i feel like i always have wanted to prove myself as um a competent guitarist like i i spent very little time ever playing something that could be construed as rhythm guitar and it was always because um I mean, I was lucky that I went to, as I said, this art summer camp where there were a lot of other girls who were into playing rock music. Um, My bandmates were often other girls. Um, But I'd go back to high school where nobody else played guitar except for like Shred Boys. And I'd be like, well, I have to prove that I'm as good as they are. Mm -hmm. So I would always write parts that were like a little bit harder than I could play so that I could get better. And then I'd be like, well, this part is too hard for me to play. Like now I have to really practice singing this to it. So I think for years and years my stage presence was just like, I have to like stand here on the mic the whole time and like not move around much because I'm playing like hard stuff. And I'm also trying to like sing something that's, you know, rhythmically and tonally completely different from what's going on with my, my two hands. Um, so I would just kind of like stand in place, plus like a big pedal board and there's all this stuff to control. And at some point I was like, but that's not people at the show, like maybe 10% of them care about the technicality of what you're doing. They just want to see you having fun. So it's been a real... Even though I was having fun, I would just look very stoic on stage. So it's been a real uh, growth over the course of speedy Ortiz of trying to look like I'm having as good of a time as I actually am having. Because I think... I I used to have friends be like, you look upset on stage. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just like really trying not to mess up these parts that are too hard for me.
1: (laughs) No, that's cool. I mean, I always... um... I always found it so much fun to, you know, kind of shift from watching like literally your hands doing all these really technical <laughs> parts. There's still I feel like this mysticism that like, what, for whatever reason, it's like you only see men treading. And I think that's a false narrative because between you and actually, um, I would say Candice um, from Woolbright are some of the tightest guitar players I've ever seen with how yeah, you just fly. One of
2: my favorite guitarists. Um, are not men. But I I think when I was first touring, I would very rarely see anyone on stage who wasn't a man. And so that was part of why I'd always make my parts, like, difficult. And it's also why, I mean, Speedy Ortiz has always had a second guitarist. It's been a Mm -hmm. few different people. Um, But often, I mean, it's funny. Every time we've had three guitarists in the band, um, and every time I've had to teach a new guitarist – they're like, oh, I listened to it and learned it. And the parts that they'll learn are the parts that I wrote because they assu- they'll, like, assume that the, like, lead-sounding part is the um, the part that they're meant to play. And I'm like, no, actually, like, that's my part. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. um, which is not to say that, like, you know, right now um, Andy Mohol is the other guitarist in Speedy Ortiz. He's really great. I love playing with him. Um, and we've done a couple guitar demos together where we're like, we have to use a bunch of effects pedals to sort of differentiate our sound because the way that this band works it's just constantly trading off leads or often mm-hmm. doubling the same lead part. There's never really a moment where someone's just like strumming it out having a good time. And sometimes I wish that I could just do that because it would make it easier to be more showboaty on stage. Like um I look at some of my friends who I view as the most antic and exciting performers and they're not really like doing anything very hard on guitar but they just like look awesome they're on their back like they have the guitar over their head yep um but I it's just not for me I'd rather like play the cool part and (laughs) yeah every everybody it's like to each your own I mean I
1: I have to say for just for me as a show goer I like both and I like being able to see somebody up there just like going at it yeah
2: Yeah. But I mean, I I do, I like both things. And sometimes I wish there was a part of me that could let go of the, the, the part that wants to be like really proficient at guitar and just like loose on stage and like swing my guitar around or something. But, um, it's just not me. I'm a nerd. I'm a guitar nerd. Well, we appreciate guitar nerds around here yeah, thats for yeah sure. you better too
1: <laughs> I love it <laughs> um and th- I think seeing that is just like empowering to people like me who are aspiring musicians mm-hmm. and like people who are learning to play in that sense and and it's like between the music that you write and the lyrics that you write it just seems like that's almost like the overall intention it seems like of what you're doing because it's like yeah. with, with, with slugger you have a lot of like impactful empowering music it's also complex and deep um did you kind of have the intention to kind of just make this a really empowering record
2: um yeah i think that that while there obviously were like feminist themes on the previous Speedy records, and I'm sure like it said feminism in our press release or whatever, there were certain explicit themes that I um, felt weird talking about explicitly, especially in a band where I'm backed by three men. Um, mm-hmm. So working on it totally by myself without any, you know, that the record was just me on like uh, basically the same setup I'm talking to you now, like my laptop at a desk. I had like a little like MIDI controller and I nice. had like a guitar through like the, the DI box that I'm like talking to you through right now. And I just spent two weeks just like making crazy music and staying up till 4am without answering to anybody else. So there were things <laughs> in the lyrics that like I feel like would have gotten at that time, maybe not now, because I feel like, um there's certain like consciousness things that are just better in 2019 than they were things that are that are more obvious to men in 2019 than they maybe were in 2015 which is not to say that like my bandmates aren't hashtag woke but certain things about um gendered experiences are, are more universally understood so there are things that at that time i was like i would feel weird singing this in speedy or tease but if it's just me and no one else has to answer for it or like speak about it in an interview then I'm, like, happy to work on it this way. So that, that was kind of – it wasn't like I was trying to do, like, let's do a whole, like, empowerment feminism anthem, but it was, like, here's, like, some shit in feminism that I want to talk about and haven't felt like I could explicitly in in the, the like, Speedy or Tease project. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Definitely. Well, I like that, you know, you get very direct with songs like Giddy Yes, but you also have almost, like, this just, like – fierceness in songs like Coming Into Powers, where they just feel strong and important. And I love it. And I also love the rapping with Samus, by the way. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's
2: funny. I mean, I got really into Samus. Well, we're she's my good friend now. But yeah, um, I saw her. I was working on this project, and Joe from Don Giovanni Records was like, you have to see my friend perform. And I think he'd maybe heard the song that I did with Lizzo. Uh-huh. And was like, oh, you should do a song with Anongo, who's Samus. And I was like, yeah, I'll come – check out your friend um and i cried at her show and That's i don't so you know people online are like i'm crying like on twitter or whatever they're not actually crying i don't think <laughs> at least not all the time but i truly cried at at uh, one of her songs and we kind of got in touch over email and then um she had a song she i mean she has a number of songs that i feel like touch on similar themes mm-hmm. to coming into powers which is um Intersectional feminism, yeah. um, and I was like, "Hey, you've spoken about this a lot and really eloquently, and I think that you you being on this song would just like make it a million times better. Um, so I didn't write the song intending for there to be a rap verse in it. I just was like, Wow, I need to find a way to get Samus on this record, so she's the only feature on that whole album, and we just like built in sixteen bars for her to do something, and I love what she did, and it's I love everything so she's done great. since then I- i'm a I'm a big, I'm a Stan. I would. Say. <laughs>
1: I love that though. I feel like it was a great opportunity for like you to both kind of share platforms in that sense. And like, yeah. you know, have this really awesome collaboration because I think there should be more com- like collaboration between like indie rock and rap in that sense, because it's, they're both have the same like kind of ethos in that sense. You might as well just t- translate that musically too. And this song is like a prime example as far as I'm concerned for making that happen
2: yeah I really I mean that was part of why I wanted to do the sad 13 stuff because I was like and and I've sort of had that in the back of my mind originally when I worked on that project I was like I'm gonna do each song as a different collaboration with someone and then I just wound up making it and producing it myself but I still would love to do that because there's so many people who I think are my favorite musicians and it wouldn't make sense necessarily for a speedy Ortiz to do it together but um like Susie Analog is one, she's a producer who I just love her music, and we've done some shows together, and um, my fantasy would be to, like, do a, a collaboration with her, and I don't know that it would work with, like, although she, you know, she likes everything, I think it could work, um, but I like the idea of having this this side project that I can do something that's stylistically so different from Speedy, and um, still be really fun, and yeah.
1: I love it, and I love what you've done with Sat 13 so far, as far as that goes and I'm sure that you have other ideas that'll be coming up ahead
2: you know that's why I've got my little MIDI controller out on the on the desk oh yeah Are you working on anything now I've been trying I, I well how do I even put this I've been wanting to work on new music and I've felt just like um for the past since speedy or t started I just feel like anytime I have downtime I'm like gotta be writing gotta be like recording and that's fine but it, it is hard to run at 100 all year round mm-hmm. um, and I've been on tour so much out of the past you know since t- 2011 is when we kind of started doing this 2013 is when I started doing it full-time um, and I put out a book I've been touring on that most of this year yeah And I just was like oh I only have a few days at a, at home at a time like I should be using this to work on music but my brain doesn't want to so I've been trying to honor that and not force myself. Sometimes I think that it can be helpful to force yourself to work, especially if you're in a creative rut. But I don't think I'm in a creative rut. I think I just need a little um, time and clarity away from writing new music. So I, I have this out actually because I'm just working on like covering some songs because I'm like, that seems fun to me right now. If I want to ease my way back into home recording after so many months on tour, like doing some covers is a good way to, to start.
1: Definitely. Well, you have to do, like, what you said, what's fun to you, because that'll be what ends mm-hmm. up ultimately inspiring whatever creativity comes down the road. Venture yeah. Riverdale and play with some covers and just
2: chill. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That's awesome. And yeah, you did spend a lot of last year touring with, um, with Sweetie Rts, with doing um, Mouthguard, the release of your poetry. Um, yeah. how, how's the reception been to that?
2: It's been really good. Um, the book is selling really well. It was... Um, for a small press distribution, it was like one of their bestsellers um, last fall. So, I mean, not that like poetry sales are like crazy to begin with, but I wasn't expecting very much with it at all. And it's nice to see people responding well to it. Um, and it's also cool to be engaging in a kind of performance where the expectations and efforts surrounding each date are so different. Like the amount of prep that goes in to any show that we do on tour like we wind up there from 3 p.m. till you know 1 a.m. There's months and months of like promoting it and doing interviews and um, the selling the merch the loading in loading out even just that compared to showing up at the at a book reading date where I just come in with a box of books like five minutes before the reading starts and then chat with like the 20 people who came and I'm able to talk to everybody and have a good conversation which is like not as true at a gig with a thousand people there. Yeah. um So that's really really nice, and um it's just a, a, such a different experience. Like sometimes I do these readings, and you know, if like if like forty people show up, the bookstore is like, that is amazing. Like that's the best turnout that we've had in years. And I'm like, cool. If we sold forty tickets to a Speedy show, like someone would be mad at me. Um, <laughs> so this it's kind of cool to have that different different experience different expectations people are it's just a different community the the poetry community than the the indie rock fandom community but um I like them both for very different reasons
1: yeah those are two very different experiences do you ever have anybody who's like a speedy or sad 13 fan show up at the poetry yeah yeah
2: often so I feel like maybe half of every readings attendance is like just like speedy or tease fans who like want to come maybe they're not super invested in poetry but they want to come because it's connected to like something from the band um and i think that's awesome because that way you get people coming to poetry gigs who might not otherwise think that was something they're interested in um and then by the same extension sometimes it's just people who you know go to everything that bookstore does and they are just hearing the work without any connection to my music and that's kind of cool too because then I know it's being evaluated on its own merit rather than yeah. just like I like this because this person whose music I like did it you know what I mean um definitely so it, it's and then a lot of it is just like getting to read with other readers I like and sometimes it's their audience who comes and um I'm happy to introduce like my fans to them and and vice versa so it it's cool it's yeah a, it's a real mix of people and it's I would say a lot more age diverse than um I mean, speedy or two shows, I'm always very impressed that they they are quite age diverse and we try to do all ages as much as possible. Um, but then we have, you know, we have fans spanning, I would say we get people in their 60s at shows and we get people in their like, you know, mid teens at our shows. And that's something I've always been really proud of and psyched about. Um, but it, I mean, it's true to readings as well and per, and probably more so.
1: That's awesome, because, like, you do have that cross-reach in that sense, so you're able to touch people from all backgrounds and all ages in that sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. Both forms
1: of art. Yeah, totally. That's really cool, and, you know, it does, in some ways, Mouthguard does kind of tie into a little bit of that era of your life when you were writing certain Speedy Ortiz songs and stuff. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's old writing.
1: Yeah, that's so cool to me, like, in that sense that you were kind of able to tap into that era of your life. I'm kind of wondering maybe... What are some things that maybe you learned about yourself when you went to go revisit that writing, um, kind of now, not necessarily now as the present, but when you were going to uh, put together the book?
2: Yeah, um, so I'd say it's similar to how I was talking about some of the stuff on Major Arcana, where mm-hmm. there's songs that I don't relate to the the messages behind anymore. And like I love that people like those songs, but I'm like, I wouldn't write Nobelo now. I don't really, like, agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in this case, I was lucky that I had however many years in between writing some of the poems and publishing it. Where I, If I had poems I felt that way about, I'd just be, like, struck from the record. Like, mm-hmm. no one has to read and connect with this thing I don't agree with. Um, so in that sense, I mean, that was something that was cool for sure, being able to cut um, poems that I just, you know, didn't understand anymore. Um, and then a lot of it was just like really small edits Stuff that was for the the best of the poems But I maybe didn't see it four years ago when I was working on them Whether those were like minor word choice things Where, you know, words Your connotations with words change as you get older um, So there were things like that Where I was like, huh, this word has other meanings to me now It's not the best fit Like, let me change it for something that, that is what I'm going for um, Or even like making... There were a bunch of poem titles that I wound up changing where they became a little funnier than they were when I wrote the poem. Where I was like, oh, I like this poem, but it's so self-serious. Like, how can I lighten the mood? Uh, so I think it's a funnier collection than it would have been if I'd put it out, you know, right right as I wrote it.
1: Definitely. And that's interesting because you're able to kind of almost let like the past you influence the present you and vice versa in that sense.
2: Yeah, I viewed myself more as like my own editor than like, I don't know it was cool I felt a remove from the initial drafts of the work so I was able to make choices I was able to make choices that I thought were the right edits and I was also able to say no to edits and know that I wasn't being like emotional about my own work because um, I did have that time to to reflect on it
1: that's so neat and that's great that you're able to have that kind of experience yeah Yeah, it is. It's cool. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, with that in mind, you produce just this really wide variety of art between your music and your poetry. I'm kind of wondering maybe what are some things that you want listeners or readers to get out of maybe your solo work versus Speedy Ortiz versus maybe even your poetry?
2: Ooh, that's so hard. Because I feel like, to me, each thing is a contained project. So I can't say like, you know... That the the goals behind like the Sad Thirteen project are much different than the goals, except that you know, live. Um, I haven't had any men play in Sad Thirteen, which is yeah, been which is awesome. <laughs> a really conscientious thing about um, representation and and wanting people to be able to see more women and non-binary musicians on stage. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been important in, in that project. But beyond in terms of the recording, it, it's very much like when I write a record I'm writing specifically for that record and I want it to be contained within that like mood and same with the book, which is why I didn't include any new poems with this collection that I'd finished a few years ago. Cause I'm like, tonally, my writing is so different now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want the book to sort of stand as its own little universe. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it would be more of a question of like, what is the goal of each specific album or book? And I feel like we kind uh. of went over that in the beginning. Um, so like the live you know, iteration. I do have, like, specific goals with Sad 13, and, and part of it was um, wanting to adopt this, like, hyper-feminized dress that, like, I mean, you can see, like, me right now. This is, like, <laughs> I'm in, like I don't know. This is, you're not publishing the video, right? No. <laughs> so I can describe myself. Like, my hair is, I look like Kathy, maybe. Um, <laughs> my hair is, like, in a ponytail. It's, like, just a mess. Like, I'm wearing, like, gym clothes, and disgusting sweater um and it's all I'm wearing all like black and brown uh, <laughs> which is there's nothing wrong with that but on stage um I go really glittery and I do like you know fake hair fake eyelashes like all kinds of cosmetics like really really feminine stage attire and part of that is like I mean we we kind of talked right before you started taping but I feel really ambiguous about my own gender and like day-to-day life I really like does I don't think about it like I don't think about it other than like things I've been excluded from because of it and things my friends have been excluded from because of it. Sure. Um It doesn't really like in terms of like how I think of myself and my self image. I don't really feel like my gender has anything to do with me. Um, but I do think about the fact that so many of my guitar heroes when I was first learning were men, and that's like who I saw on stage. And the first few years that Speedy went on tour, I just like only saw men on stage. Um, and at some point, it became a, a, like a proactive thing for us of wanting to make um, our stages when we had a choice more um, gender inclusive and also more racially inclusive um, because you see so 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 many white people um, yes. on stage like every. So show. Many. Um, mm-hmm. But part of that was also like. I would dress in this really masculine way on stage, um, which was just how I dressed. But I think that it was how I dressed because I was so used to men being the norm in punk shows and punk houses. So I'd be like, I want to dress like they do, so I'm taken seriously. Um, and when I started to have a better sense of like wanting, <sighs> wanting representation on our stages to be better, I was like, why don't I just go in the farthest opposite direction and... and do the full like feminine costume that I think is so fun and that doesn't is not necessarily always hand in hand with like proficient guitar not not even proficient like really technical guitar playing Mm -hmm. um and I mean Saint Vincent is a great example of that like you know people love Saint Vincent not only because she's so technical and great at guitar but there's like a lot of costuming and it's engaging and it's fun for people to see and um I I feel like it really shows that you can be anywhere along the gender spectrum and be, like, amazing at your instrument. You could be, you know, you could be wearing a huge T-shirt and, like, cut off shorts and be sick at guitar. Or you could be wearing, like, a crazy Victorian collar and, like, puffy sleeves, like, whatever St. Vincent is wearing. Or, you know, the full, like, latex bodysuit. And you can be amazing at guitar. And and, uh, I guess I wanted to be part of, of showing that spectrum. So that's why I started dressing in a yeah, this, like, hyper-feminine way.
1: I love that, though, because it's, like, it's, again, showing so many other people that music is accessible to them despite any sort of, like, narrative or sort of um, messaging that's out there that you have to lurk a certain way to be. Yeah, included.
2: yeah, it's exactly.
1: Bullshit.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, what's always been the most exciting thing for me is when people who are kind of young come up to us after the shows and are, like, because of you, I, I started learning, and I guess I wanted to show, like, You can, yes, you can learn and also you can look however you want and still um, be pretty good.
1: (laughs) I love that so much. And that's a huge message for people of all ages and all opportunities in that sense. They can see that and they can do it themselves.
2: Yeah, I hope you all can see me when I'm like 80 years old. And at that point, I will be a really showboaty um, performer on stage and I'll be like headbanging and playing behind my neck and stuff. And then I can, you know, show that you can do this from age 13 to age 80.
1: I love that. It's badass. You're going to be the biggest, most badass 80-year-old ever. (laughs) We'll
2: see. I feel like there's going to be so many osteopathic challenges for me between now and then, but we'll see. (laughs) That's so
1: funny. Um, So so, uh, so with that in mind, uh, hopefully none of those challenges happen this year. Um, What are some things that you're working on in 2019 that you're kind of excited about?
2: I'm training for a marathon right now, which I'm really excited about. It's my first one.
1: That's awesome. Is it going to be in Philly or where? It's going to be in at? Cleveland. In Cleveland,
2: cool. Yeah, I looked up um easiest first marathons. <laughs> and I picked the one that I could do based on my tour schedule and where I also had friends in the city to like cheer me on. Oh, so it's going to so cool. be Cleveland in the middle of May. I'm very excited. Oh my gosh. And well, uh, I feel like so much of my free time like my friends just don't want to hear about it cuz it's like once you get deep in a marathon training, I'm running now on weekends like for three hours and I'm like, hey, I can't do anything today because I'm so exhausted. Like, let me tell you about all the aches and pains in my body and like, <laughs> oh, all my salt from exercising just dried on my face and now I touch my forehead and salt is coming off. Like, oh my that's, that's been consuming a lot of my um, mental energy since, since I started specifically training for it in January um wow. but it's really fun and i'm having a good time with it and when you were talking earlier about self care i'm like getting really into running again which used to be one of my big hobbies um has been just awesome for me in terms of my own mental health so that's so yeah. cool and i'm having a good time with it i'm also not good so if you're listening to this and you're like i think i would run a marathon but i'm bad i want to tell you that i'm bad and uh, it's really fun still. I get to listen to lots of music and podcasts and um, wear fun running clothes.
1: That's the fun part for sure. And like, that's like running clothes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I get so excited. Now I'm like, oh, I got new socks. And I'm like, it's like the highlight of my week.
1: Oh, I do that all the time. There's a new
2: windbreaker. I'm so stoked. I've done that is the thing.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm like that with I'm a I'm a hot yoga person. So oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Cool. If I get
2: new gear for
1: that, like you're you know, psyched. Yeah, no, I I get stupid excited over leggings now, and I'm like, that was not a Ooh, thing a long time who ago. Who makes the
2: leggings you like?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember which one. It was like the um, oh gosh, I liked a little bit of the Guy M ones and like a couple other brands and stuff. But like, I've I've gotten really good at finding them on discount and stuff. Like, cool.
2: So that, like, that's what that. I do. I waited out. I ha- I got really into um, along with like getting into running, I got really into like B Corp running gear yeah so stuff that's like sustainably made or um yeah. sustainably made and and like you know the workers are paid fairly and under conditions that are like absolutely certain um so I, I have like a couple that I just like stock all the time and if they have any sales that's when I'm getting all my stuff so I really like Codopaxi. um and they have running tights if you look them up I feel like you'll be into them because they're really They're just really fun and they do fun colors and um, Outdoor Voices is another one. They're pretty pricey, but they last and I just wait till they have sales and then I'm like, yes, yes, yes.
1: Dang. I'm going to have to look up all these. Maybe I can find some offshoots that do the yoga stuff for me because that would be sick.
2: Yeah. You know, Outdoor Voices does, I think, primarily yoga stuff. Awesome. Um, A lot of the gear is honestly really similar because it's like you want like a a sports bra crop thing and you want either tights or like little shorts. So. (laughs) The yoga running gear crossover is, um, it's pretty, it's pretty tight.
1: I love that. Well, damn, that's so cool that you're doing this marathon and you're, you're training for it now and you're doing that while you're on tour.
2: Yeah, I started, so I always ran and I've kind of gone on and off over the past few years because I've, as like I said, like osteopathic challenges, I'm just really prone to injury. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, whatever, uh, you know. Bodies are are a weird prison and mine gets mad at me for all kinds of things. Um, So I've gotten injured a lot of times trying to get back into running. And maybe like in June, I was like, I really need to do something for my mental health on tour that is not just sitting in a van eight hours a day. Like I get a lot of reading done on tour. I get to eat cool vegan food in different cities, but that's kind of about it. Um, And it just feels good to get your blood moving and, you know, feel like you are in your body and not just so... Uh, I don't know, a passenger. Um, so I started with the intention of just taking it really, really slow, not trying to increase my mileage too much too fast, which has been my problem in the past. I'm like, oh, I used to run like five miles a day. That's fine. I can just start that. And then that's how you get injured. Um, so I just started really, really slowly. And maybe like six months into to running regularly, I was like, oh, I think I'm actually, I've built a pretty good foundation that I could do a marathon. So not do a marathon right away, but you know, if you follow a marathon training plan and you're a beginner, it's like a five-month plan. So that's what I've been doing. I'm really excited. And, uh, yeah, it's probably really boring. But it's been funny to get, now that I've started, I've started posting about it on on Instagram and stuff. And I got lots of comments from, like, secret runners who are just really psyched that someone whose music they like is, like, into this hobby that they're also into. I feel like, um, running community is really nice and supportive and uh, it's cool to have that in my life.
1: Too. I love that so much. That's so cool. And like, you know, with, uh, it's funny cause there are like a decent amount of like fitness punks out there and stuff too. Yeah. But you don't,
2: you, it's not always like the thing people lead with. So yeah. I found out that so many of my friends like run marathons just cause I started training for one and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah like, let's talk about it. That's cool.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And I really, again, like the thing that I'm saying, I, like I like about BookTour and I like about speedier two shows is, um, it feels like very consciously inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did my first, I did a half marathon last month as part of my training. And I was just so psyched at like people of every different kind of body imaginable, every different kind of ability imaginable, just all out like running and having a good time and supporting each other and cheering for one another. Um, it was so cool. It made me like a little bit emotional where I was like, oh, it's just nice to, I don't know, it's nice to see people cheering each other on and, and supporting one another. And they're like, individual journeys. This is the hokiest speech I've ever given on a podcast. <laughs>
1: hey, it's important. You can translate that though, to, from like marathons to how you want to see like, you know, culture go and everything. So yeah, it's important.
2: But I, I ran in high school. I was, um, I joined the track team as a bet with this boy who was terrible. Um, <laughs> and he th- he told me I wouldn't last two weeks or something like that. And I was like, all right. And I, I did it. And the next year I was a track captain. Um, And we had a a runner on the track team who was um, visually impaired and I was like her sighted guide for a lot of the training season, which was really fun and awesome and I really loved running with her. Um, And I kind of had forgotten about that experience. And then when I ran the half marathon, there were a number of blind runners running with um, their sighted guides and I was like, oh, this is so awesome and I kind of forgot about this part of the community too. So now I'm like, oh, I kind of want to get back into that as an adult. So we'll see.
1: That's so cool. Well, that's just awesome that you're able to, you know, see these opportunities and this inclusivity within that community as well. That's so cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I like runners.
1: Well, Hello to all
2: the runners out there.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there's some <laughs> listening. I'm sure. <laughs> well, that it's so awesome to hear about this really awesome thing that you're working on this year. And Thanks. I'm excited to see all that you do with your running, with your music, you. with your writing, everything that's going on for you.
2: I'm bad at the running, but I like it.
1: That's and all I'm that matters. matters. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you
2: can apply that to anything.
1: That's for sure. Well, where can everybody keep up with you online and find all your music?
2: Um, I'm pretty much on everything as Sad Thirteen, so that's S A D one three. Um, so I'm there on on Twitter and on Instagram, and then speedy ortiz has a facebook page that i don't really update but it exists um other than that both projects have websites and uh, but I, I would say the main the main ways are like twitter instagram that's where i spend most of my non non-running time
0: <laughs>
1: oh my gosh well everybody's gonna make sure they follow you and keep up with your adventures Thanks. and running and all of your awesome art
2: yeah don't keep up with my adventures and running it's so boring <laughs> and you can look at everything else
1: well there you have it well thank you so much Sadie thank
2: you this is so fun I'm really glad that we were able to make it happen
0: absolutely it was great My life like the cool kids Now I got a little pride Call it hubris Deuces If you want my rhymes For some goose eggs Cause who says That you can't make dope art And go far Blow hearts with no bars They throw hard Like Polgar Motar But I'm a star I'm a pulsar I be wanting hardwood floors, A couple hardcore tours I don't care about the whips Though I'd like four doors I don't care about the dish Though I'd like four cores Cause I write dope bars Or my type four fours Yeah I never sweat it, just Try to make it manifest me know my fam No Oedipus me know my fans All ten of us Nah, that was said in jest, even though I'm messing there's a lesson, Sadie said it back So me way you will I'll spar until it's so coming into
1: sad13 and samus thank you so much to sadie for reaching out and for our exploration of her creativity it's so special getting to know the nuances of someone who is so talented but even more so to get to see the person behind it all it was such a treat to get to know her and i can't wait to hear future projects from sadie that's it for this week but you can always keep up with me online Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for regular updates. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. Want to tell me what you think of the podcast? Leave a review on any of the apps. I would love to hear from you. If you like what you hear and have some spirit change, drop a virtual tip at the Angry Girl Music coffee page. All cash goes toward helping with expenses for hosting across your favorite podcast apps, a future website, and some other projects for the pod. I'm always booking guest spots, so hit me up at angergirlmusic at gmail.com. Whether you write and play music, run a blog, take photos, work in publicity, or book shows, this can be a space for you. Send me a link to your work and let's chat. Don't forget, Death Protector Fest is just a week and a half away in Gainesville, featuring a ton of podcast alum and friends. Death Protector Collective with the alternative Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion, The Fest, and Smart Punk Records present a one-day festival all for free on May 11th. Join us at the backyard at Boca Fiesta and Palomino Pool Hall to see Slingshot Dakota, Dikembe, Little League, Pez, Pool Kids, Expert Timing, Woolbright, Night Witch, Teenagers, and Super Haunted. Check the show notes for links and more info. So, until next time, stay angry and think about how you can empower others through your art.